0: the views expressed in this podcast are the opinion of the host and are meant to spark discussions this podcast may contain series and larger universe spoilers this season i will be discussing sarah j mass's most ambitious series throne of glass please note that this podcast will cover topics such as depression abuse imprisonment self-harm and other topics that may not be suitable for younger listeners listener discretion is advised Selina has left the little port town of Inish, where she helped a healer realize her dream of reaching the Tori Cesme to study with the world's greatest healers, and taught her how to defend herself. Selina has made it to the Red Desert, where she is to train with the Mute Master of the Silent Assassins. In their guild, she will find that friendship and betrayal can be the most painful things in the world, but she will gain an understanding of what exercising compassion can offer to a person. By being compassionate, Selena will not only save the life of the Mute Master, but will also find a way to gain her freedom from Arabin should she choose. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the third episode of the Bookly Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you all. I am back in my closet and ready to keep diving into the Assassin's Blade. But first, I wanted to start off this episode with a few shoutouts. The first being to another incredible book podcast and the host who encouraged me and gave me thorough and honest advice on how to start my own podcast. If you have not listened to Book Talk for Book Talk by Jack and Amy, please go and listen as they have been doing a critical analysis of another Sarah J Maas series, A Court of Thorns and Roses, and they are about to start analyzing Crescent City. I want to thank them both because I have been a huge fan of the show and I didn't know where to start my own journey with this. I literally slid into their DMs one day and they took the time to give me tangible, actionable, and realistic advice. They also assured me that there's room for all of us at the table— I couldn't believe the kindness and generosity of them so i had to take the time to thank them for their encouragement and kind words i hope that maybe they find this podcast and listen to it seriously this would not have been possible without them i also want to give a very special special shout out to my mom and my husband mom thanks for encouraging this idea and telling me i need to start a youtube channel to go along with it uh, baby steps and for also asking me every week when the first episode would air so that she can make sure to listen to it special shout out to my dad who texted me literally at one in the morning saying he had been up all night waiting for it to air and a very special thank you to my husband Ian for listening to me complain about doing something like this for the better part of a year and helping me set everything up. Thank you for looking at my podcast cover art and being proud of me for getting into a creative outlet. With all that being said, let's dive in this part of the book opens with selena trekking across the red desert with a guide who will get her from the port to keep to the keep of the silent assassins of the desert well he will get her almost there the guide only points her in the general direction and tells her it's two more miles to the southwest and that the assassins will find her and basically good luck arabin the king of assassins and her master has sent her to train with them as her punishment for freeing his shipment of slaves in skulls bay to learn obedience and discipline he'd said hours after the guide had left her selena arrives at the assassin's fortress and is greeted by courtyard pools and little rivers of water running along the floor an assassin greets her to escort her to see the master the fortress is described as a beautiful desert palace full of assassins from all kingdoms training together, and while she was the only female assassin in Ardalan, here there were just as many men as there were females. As she is brought in front of the mute master, she was instructed that she would have to make the introduction, as he would not speak to her. Arabin had told her exactly what to say, ordered her, in fact, to say, and Selina could not hide her identity here. She had one month to gain the master's respect, and if she did not come home with his letter of approval, then she'd better find somewhere else to live. She could no longer be an assassin of Ardalin. Selina falls to her knees, bows her head, and extends her hands to the master, beseeching him to train her. But she's not at all comfortable with the words. She feels anger at having to beg the master to train her as if he doesn't know who she is and that she's above training with him because she already is the greatest assassin in the land selena is extremely arrogant and believes there's nothing she could possibly learn here the master approaches her and tilts her head so that he can look at her face Selina believes this to be a trust of trust but upon examination the master just looks at her sorrowfully at the cuts and bruises still healing on her face from the beating Arabin had given her over a month ago at this point. As the master goes back and sits on his dais, he smiles at Selina and snaps his fingers. She has a moment to notice the four assassins armed charging at her. Selina recognizes this as another test, a test to see if she was even worthy to train at the fortress of the silent assassins. Arrogance again enters her thoughts as she begins moving to dispatch the assassins coming at her. Once she takes the assassins out, she notices a beautiful girl smiling at her. Selina describes her as one of the most beautiful people she had ever seen. Selina takes her appearance very seriously and notices when other people are good-looking too. However, she goes out of her way to notice other beautiful women and this doesn't sit well with Selena. She compares herself to them and sees their beauty as a threat to her own sometimes. While the girl was beautiful, it was her ornate armor which was so different from the gauzy robes all the others were wearing that Selena calls it ornate to the point of being useless, but a work of art. The master beckons the beautiful girl to come f- and she introduces herself as Ansel to Selena and announces that they will be roommates during the duration of Selina's stay with the Silent Assassins. Neither girl is especially thrilled by the idea of having to share a room together, and Ansel asks exactly how long Selina will be staying. She says to both Ansel and the Master that she will be staying for one month, if the Master allows her. The Master nods, and Ansel announces that she will start her training tomorrow at dawn. Ansel leads Selina from the master's greeting room and takes her to the baths. Selina feels uncomfortable walking with Ansel through the fortress, especially since all of her weapons have been taken from her. She's uneasy because she has never spent much time around another girl, never had any female friends, well, never really had any friends at all. Selina thinks that Ansel might be better than her, and she doesn't like the thought of that one bit, She doesn't like thinking that someone, much less another girl her age, could be better than her. Selena notices children popping in and out of rooms as they walk down the halls. Ansel explains that even the children, who are acolytes, have chores that are meant to train them, but cleaning the rooms of the older assassins, they are taught responsibility and humility. Selina notices how the children look at Ansel as they walk down the hallway, they look at her with admiration and respect. She notices that Ansel might be popular and well-regarded here, and no one's paying her any attention. Selina tries peppering Ansel with questions, trying to get as much information out of the girl as possible, while not giving away any information about herself. Selina learns that the master has yet to train Ansel, despite her being at the fortress for five years this makes Selina squirm <laughs> she doesn't have that kind of time but selena also marks this as odd but brushes it off when she thinks about how many of the assassins in her own keep never received private training lessons with arabin instead she asks ansel where she's from originally we learn that ansel's from the western part of Aralea. the name of her territory is called briar cliff Her father was the lord, and it was he who sent her to train with the silent assassins. It's located in the western wastes, which were formerly known as the Witch Kingdom. Ansel then asks Selina how many people she's killed. I can just imagine Selina's face being like, excuse me? And basically says the equivalent of that. Selina doesn't deign to answer the question, but Ansel muses that it would be easy to find out that's turkey i'm sorry guys again three cats turkey go away yes meow to you turkey meow to you too turkey selena must have a calling card to indicate her work selena thinks about how she doesn't have to leave behind any indication of her work she thinks it's cheap to do so arabin always makes sure that the word of her gets out Ansel, however, makes a point to say that she would want everyone to know that she had done it if her roles with Selena were reversed. Selena notes how Ansel's reasoning seems different than her own for wanting to be known as the best. It bothers her, but she can't put her finger on it. Why for right now? In this short story, we will continue to see the excellent foreshadowing work that Sarah J. Mass puts into this book. It started in the last episode, and every little detail that SJM is telling us in these two stories is used to build up not only to the end of this book, but will come back in the series at large. She's creating a web of a world and connections that Selena will come to rely on throughout the series. Reading this again has made me appreciate just how early the seeds were planted and how long SJM has some of these threads go before she ties them in so effortlessly to the larger story. Additionally, SJM is building up Ansel's character. We will see Selena's craving for companionship of any kind cloud her judgment a bit because Selena hasn't had a friend and, you know, she was just starting to figure things out with Sam. She really hasn't had a peer to confide in. We will see her question some of Ansel's motives throughout this story, but Selena, despite her forced upbringing, is naive and trusting at heart. She will continue to give Ansel the benefit of the doubt, and Ansel might not deserve it. Ansel then asks Selina about the bruises and cuts on her face, trying to make light of it. Selina gets visibly upset and clams up. Internally, she feels herself start to feel guilt. Ansel asks if Selena's master gave her the cuts and bruises, and when Selina doesn't answer, Ansel leaves her alone this time. Soon after, Ansel leads Selina into the bath and lets her know that silence is enforced here, but that she should take her time and when she's ready, someone will take her to their room where her things will be ready. I find this part so funny. Selena is worried about the idea of her stuff being handled by someone else, especially her weapons, but she's more concerned about her underwear being handled by someone else But she nods and resigns herself to good behavior and trusting the others here so that she can get her letter of approval. She's basically concerned about her very expensive underwear being judged. Once in the baths, Selena starts thinking about that day that Arabin had punished her and Sam. She looks at the bruises and becomes so angry, so much so that she feels sick with anger and sorrow. She felt anxiety over going back to Rifthold. On one hand, She needed to know what happened to Sam. On the other, she just wanted to go back to the life she was familiar with, but she admits that she's actually scared of going back and finding out what exactly happened. Selena goes to her room and notices that Ansel isn't there, and that her side of the room is not very decorated at all. In true Selena fashion, she begins to go through Ansel's belongings. She scoffs at Ansel for folding her undergarments and thinks that while her undergarments are expensive, they just end up a heap in a heap in her drawer. She gives up trying to find anything and goes to bed and falls asleep. We can all relate, Selena. We all have that one drawer of underwear. That's just a mess. It looks like a Victoria's Secret's bin of underwear after the semi-annual sale. While Selena is sleeping, she has a dream in which she recalls what happened the day she got punished by Arabin. She recalls never having seen him so angry. He was so angry that he was utterly still. Arabin had asked her and Sam if they knew how much money they'd cost him. Sam tries to defend Selena and say that the idea was his. Arabin knows he's lying. Erebin asks his bodyguard, Wesley, to get three of the assassins in the keep, Turn, Mulling, and Harding. As the assassins enter the room, Arabin orders them to shut the door and to restrain Sam. His arms were pinned by the two of, by two of the assassins while the others stood in front of them. She was about to beg for Harding to not hurt Sam when Arabin started his assault on her. She heard Sam screaming something as Arabin punched and kicked her, inflicting as much pain as possible without doing permanent damage. The last thing she remembers is feeling guilty for bleeding all over Arabin's carpet and relieved that she would not be conscious as he hurt Sam. Ansel picks up Selina for dinner later and sits her at the table she usually sits at with some of the other assassins that Ansel knows. Ansel begins serving herself food from the various platters that are spread on the table and then serves Selina too. She tells her to start eating. Nothing is poisoned and it's all delicious. But Selena takes her time and watches the others for a while. Ansel mentions someone named Lord Barrack and how he wants the assassins dead, but he would know better than to do it through poison because the assassins were far too skilled for that. I want you to all make note that Ansel said this. I mentioned before that everything in this book is basically foreshadowing for something, not only later in the story, but later in the series as well. This is not the only time in this series that poison will come up. And Anselina will have to deal with poison and its effects many times throughout the series. But at this point, this is basically SJM screaming at us that something in the story is going to happen and it will involve poison specifically. The other assassins at the table begin to interject into Ansel's story about Lord Beric, namely one assassin named Mikhail. We learn that Mikhail and Ansel are involved with each other, and even though Mikhail is older than her... He's given her more attention and training that she craves than any of the other assassins. Ansel explains that Lord Beric has wanted the assassins dead for a very long time. He fell out of favor with the King of Ardalan when he refused to send his troops to quell a rebellion in Elway. So from last episode, we are still trying. We looked up the pronunciation and it's Elway. I'm still probably going to butcher this every once in a while, so bear with me. He wants to get back on the king's good side and thinks that by killing the assassins and giving the mute master's head to the king of Ardolin, he would earn back the king's favor. Ansel also tells Selina that the master sends her to Zandria, King Beric's territory, to meet with him and try to negotiate between him and the assassins as kind of a diplomat. It had been a few minutes at this point, and as Mikhail and Ansel continue chatting, Selina finally deems it safe to eat the food. She notices all the different people living together. She had never seen so many people from so many different places living peacefully. She notices that the atmosphere in the dining hall is peaceful, joyful, content even. Mikhail and Ansel explain that the assassins are free to stay as long as they want. They can work for other kingdoms if they so wish or they can stay in the fortress and train. They worked for anyone other than the King of Ardalan, and had no desire to step into that territory. During dinner, Selina feels the weight of someone staring at her and she discovers that a handsome young man about her age has been stealing glances at her. Ansel introduces him as Elias, the master's son. Ansel teases her about getting Elias's attention and Selina says she's not here for romance of any kind. It wasn't that she wasn't interested in people, In fact, she was infatuated with several men before. As we will see, Selena is stuck in a place where she's realizing that maybe she does have feelings for Sam and in order for her to act on her feelings, it has to feel right to her. The next morning, Ansel and Selena are outside in the oasis. Ansel has just let Selena know that her training will begin with a three mile run to the next oasis in the desert while carrying two buckets on a yoke on her shoulders. She can then refresh herself there, and then run back. This is what the master meant by training, and until she doesn't blend in with the assassins, the master will not bother training her. Ansel actually says that Selina still reeks like the northern wind. Once you start reeking like the red desert, then he'll bother to train you. Selina, of course, is beside herself. Hearing this, she knows she's on a time crunch to train with him and earn his respect, but Ansel says again that she needs to be willing to leave everything that she knows and all that she was behind then he will train her Ansel takes off into the desert with a smile and a wink and this irritates Selina she takes a breath and starts running into the desert Selina gets about one mile before she's walking to keep going she's going so slowly that she crosses other assassins as they're on their way back already She finally makes it to the oasis, and no one pays attention to her. For once, she's grateful that no one's even looking at her. She considers again leaving Airbin, and this time coming here to the Red Desert and staying with the silent assassins. I just want to add a little personal note that I myself, I couldn't do this. I hate running more than anything. I would have walked the three miles every damn day, And would have to be dragged out of the oasis to go back to the fortress. Or I would just hide in the fortress and somehow avoid running. I would volunteer to clean the rooms even. I'm really good at cleaning. Really bad at running. Just like Fat Amy in Pitch Perfect, horizontal running is way more my speed. Later that evening, Selena is still thinking about how to convince the master to train her. She decides to corner him after he leaves the dining hall and tries to convince him one-on-one. Yes, because Selina, that is always a rational plan. Cornering someone and trying to convince them that you deserve something when they're cornered always works. When she does catch up to him in the hallway, no matter what she says to him, he signs to her that she needs to be patient and wait. She needs to slow down. Ansel had been right. As the master turns from her to go to his room, Selena makes to follow him again but is stopped by someone grabbing her arm. It's Elias. She said she had no intention of hurting the master. Elias understands and believes her and they properly introduce one another. Selina realizes that her and Elias are very similar. He's the second to his father and she is the second to Erbin, but Elias carried himself in a way that showed he was utterly at home. He was at peace here in the fortress. He had friends and people who looked up to him and respected him here. Selina feels jealousy realizing this and thinks that being Ardalene's assassin here doesn't count for much. Selina feels the way most teenagers feel. She's looking for a place in the world and looking for meaning in her life. She's looking for a place that she can fit in and feel at peace. She sees some of her peers here thriving and begins questioning the place that she has called home for eight years now. She's beginning to realize that what she has come to know is not the only way of life and that there may be something better worth fighting for beyond her borders. Selena feels that she's failing and that her reputation is crumbling here because she doesn't know how to earn the respect of these people. She doesn't realize that all she has to do is be herself But we will come to see that Selena either doesn't know herself very well or is not allowing herself to be true to herself because she is scared of what that means for her relationship with others and how others perceive her. She wants to be home so badly she's craving the company of Sam and her comfort zone who she thinks is steady and knows himself very well. She also realizes that he's a grounding presence for her and acts as a rock for her when she gets carried away with her own emotions. I would like to point out here that Selena is developing a crush on Sam. This came out a little bit out of left field for me. I understand the whole proximity thing that when you're close enough to someone for long enough, you kind of just fall for them. And with Sam, this was kind of easy since he was so willing to say yes to her and just go along with her whims and, you know, go along with her teasing and tease her back. But honestly, with no other prior interaction other than them being at each other's throats and always being pit against each other, I don't necessarily believe the connection between him and Selena. I also understand that Selena's feelings may have grown with the absence of Sam in her life, and since the last time she saw him, he was literally screaming at Arabin while she was getting hurt. Despite all of this, I don't feel the way this relationship developed at this point is believable, but I do come around to her feelings later, and I understand that Sam was super important and whatnot, but for me, the development of this is just not super believable. And I'm. I don't want to sound callous about this. Like, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad Sam died, uh, you know, so Selena can move on to bigger and better things. No, but, and Sam was not just a plot device to push Selena, you know, where she needs to go in life, but he ultimately was he, he's the epitome of the first love. You know, you get so caught up in it, the feelings are so strong, but at the, nine times out of ten, you're not going to end up with that person. But you need to have that person. You need, to, you need to have that person to teach you what love is, and you need to have that person to teach you what the hurt of losing that love feels like. Spoiler alert, and I'm a little too late on that. At the beginning of chapter four, we find Selena starting to assimilate into her surroundings. The running gets easier for her, and she even finds time to train and spar with the other assassins in the afternoon. She's truly observing them and notices that the other assassins don't treat each other viciously. While Arabin encouraged cutthroat behavior and pitted the assassins against each other, the silent assassins were open to helping each other. Arabin wanted his assassins to consider each other enemies who were working towards the same goal. Weaknesses could not be shown. Ambitiousness and brutality were rewarded. At the end of these observances, Selena still thinks that she needs to get the letter from the master by force. We know that Selena will do whatever is necessary to get what she wants or needs, but she's failing to realize that humility, cooperation, selflessness, and self-awareness are the values that will get her the letter. Ansel's right, she needs to let go of what she is and embrace something new, something that combines her experience of where she is coming from with the new that she has absorbed while with the silent assassins to get the master's respect and approval. The next night, there's an attack on the fortress by lower barracks men. Mikhail comes to their room and wakes Ansel and Selina up to take them to the battlements. Selina takes up the place next to Ansel and gets a bow and arrow ready. Ansel lets Selina know to grab an arrow and light it when the command is given and to aim for the line just below the soldiers, which has been laid with a line that surrounds the fortress that should catch fire when the arrows hit it. Selina's surprised that they are not going to kill the soldiers, but when she learns that causing an outright war would not be a favorable outcome, she respects the decision. We get another little tidbit of foreshadowing, gold, on her way to the battlements. Selina hears a woman whisper to another assassin, How would Lord Beric's men know that so many of the assassins would be away from the fortress tonight, escorting foreign dignitaries back to the nearest port? As the enemies flee and the arrows stop raining down on the battlements, Ansel turns to Selina and says, Well, wasn't that fun? And Selina agrees it was fun. As the girls return to the room, Mikhail comes back and says that Ansel's to report to Zandria in the morning and give Lord Beric a letter from the master. Ansel asks Selina if she wants to join, plying her by saying that going with her may be a good indicator that Selina is assimilating and may cause the master to train her. We open chapter 5 with Selina complaining that she's uncomfortable because she and Ansel are sleeping outside to avoid the midday sun on their way to Xandria. Although Selina is an assassin, Erebin has also invested heavily in her being cultured and surrounded by the finer things in life. So while she doesn't exactly take well to roughing it, even though she has to do it for a job sometimes. Selina asks Ansel about her homelands, and if they are really as cursed as as she claims they are. We learned that the flatlands were also part of a broader region known as the Western Wastes, which was previously the Witch Kingdom. Ansel tells Selena that 500 years ago, a group of beautiful witches known as the crotchins Crotchens Crotchins—is how we're gonna go with it—ruled the area, and that the area was lush, fertile, and beautiful. However, when a rival group of witches overthrew the crotchins, they destroyed everything in the settlement and the land became desolate and infertile due to a spell that the last crotching queen cast with her dying breath. Ansel tells us that there, that there are different kinds of witches. The crotchins were gifted with beauty, while the iron teeth literally had iron teeth and nails that could disembowel you with a bite or a swipe. Selina then asks Ansel if she had ever seen a witch, and Ansel proceeds to tell her how her sister's best friend was killed by a witch when the girls went exploring in the flatlands. Ansel also mentions that the only true way to kill a witch is to behead her. I think we've been going through this long enough, and if you've read other Sarah J Mass, you know that nothing this drawn out and explained is a coincidence. The witches will come up later, and spoiler, when they do, they are some of my favorite characters ansel goes on a bit of a tirade about the assassins and how they have been in the desert for a very long time and have never made a move to increase their power to take xandria and the land around them for themselves ansel goes as far to say that if she were the master she would use the forces for good to defend every unprotected realm there is ansel's revealing quite a bit about herself here She's saying that she doesn't agree with what the assassins do and that she wants more power for herself. This makes sense since we know she wants to take back over her homeland, but we also know that she has no one to go back to her homeland with her. The girls arrive at Zandria later that day and Ansel walks them into the town square. There's a street market going on in the city and Ansel lets Selina know that she's going to be a few hours and to meet her back in the found square at three. Selina's surprised that Ansel would not let her go with her to the meeting. Even if she was an outsider, the assassins had not kept anything else secret from her, but Selena gets distracted by the smell of food and shoes. I can personally relate. I would also get distracted by shoes. While Selina ends up not buying the shoes, she notices another stand that is kinda tucked away and has hired guards. Then she sees why this stand would need the guards The older man is selling spider silk, which is one of the most prized materials in Ereleia. It came from the giant Steigen spiders in the Rune Mountains, and people paid for it dearly, sometimes with years and dreams. Selina describes it as gossamer, lovelier than silk and as strong as steel. The man at the cart notices her ogling and tells her that she's the first person to recognize it for what it is. She learns that the man is waiting for a ship to the southern continent and that he paid for the yards of spider silk by giving the spider 20 years of his life. So while he says he's 25, the man appears to be middle-aged. He tried to get a witch to give him back the years of his life, but the witch said that the only way to get his y- the years of his life back would be to kill the spider that originally took them. And even then, if he managed to find the spider, the only way someone would be able to kill them is if they were a skilled warrior. The man correctly guesses that Selina's an assassin and not from the Red Desert. He asks her if she's spying for Lord Barak. He tells her that there's a rumor that some of the silent assassins are actually working for Lord Barak. Selina tucks this information away and uses it to rationalize why Ansel didn't want her to go into the meeting with her. The man also tries to convince Selena to come south with him, but she refuses. He doesn't fret. He won't be back from the southern continent for at least a year. So Selena lets him know to seek out Arabin Hamel the next time he's in Rifhold. He would know where to find her, and she leaves the stand. The man calls after her, and as she turns around, he gives her a small wooden box, saying, as a reminder of their conversation, and that everything in life has a price. Inside the box was a square inch piece of spider silk. This whole passage is just another wonderful example of how SJM plants more questions in the story that she just uses as elaborate foreshadowing. And I think Throne of Glass is a fabulous example of how a book series should be written. Each and every book builds on one another. There is no real climax until the very end but there's, everything is still super high stakes and every detail is just preparing you to get to the very end. While each book does resolve something, the larger questions are still left unanswered and these little details will finally answer the big questions all the way at the end. It's, it's fabulous. I'm proud of Selena because she ends up buying the shoes <laughs> she wanted even though they are completely impractical. I love this because I would do the same thing, but it's also a nice little touch of character that SJM gives to Selena. Just because she's an assassin doesn't mean she can't be feminine at the same time, and honestly, I love it. As 3 o'clock rolls around, Selena is waiting for Ansel at the fountain, as she promised, and Ansel is 15 minutes late. She doesn't acknowledge that, instead she just starts moving through the city with Selena literally in tow. Ansel leads them inside the palace grounds and towards the stables, where there were two Astyrian horses. They were the oldest horse breed in Ereleia, and legend claimed that the fae made them from the four winds. Ansel says that Lord Beric got them today, and that he would eventually give them away or forget about them, and let them languish in the stables, so they were going to take them for themselves. Selena didn't really process what they were doing, so she got up on her own Astyrian horse and followed Ansel out. And we are ending part one here, simply because this is 10 pages of notes. Um, and again, I never want to have these episodes become so long or drawn out that it gets boring for you guys. I'd rather them be short, fun, and quick um at least for right now so i'm not sure how we're gonna do this with the longer books but we will get there when we get there that being said the assassin in the desert will be split up into two episodes and the second part will be released next sunday i also wanted to let everyone know that i'm adding more content to the bookly podcast in the form of bonus episodes and video content on my patreon and on tiktok The Patreon has one membership tier and it will have access to video content as well as live chats and Q&As if you guys want, as well as coverage of other books that I'm currently reading that are not in the Sarah J Maas universe. It's only $5 a month and has a seven day free trial. um, So you won't get charged, you know, if you don't like my content and you leave, uh, that's totally okay. The first video on there will be the most anticipated books of the year list. And it will also be my first time doing video form content so we'll see how that goes as always please rate and review this podcast and follow me on socials at the bookly podcast on instagram and at nat Ho harrington on tiktok thank you so much for listening and i can't wait to talk to you all again next week bye